Hi, I'm Todd Nathanson. And I'm Lena Morgan. And this is our Patreon bonus episode exclusive. We do one of these a month. Uh, you guys vote, and then we watch whatever you tell us to watch, and we talk about it. And boy, did you... Uh, you guys made a decision uh, about how my uh, how my month was going to go. You guys... Uh, you guys voted for the Peter Jackson documentary about the making of the album Let It Be. It is the Beatles. Get back. It, it is John Paul Sartre's No Exit, the <laughs> musical starring the Beatles. I'm laughing at that because I have a vague understanding of what No Exit by Sartre is. But I, I have no idea if that reference even made any sense. It, but it I mean, sounds right. Sure. Most of uh, my jokes are, it sounds right. <laughs> Don't think too hard about it. Okay, so when this had uh, been voted in, you had already watched Get Back the entirety, and you, you said you watched the first episode again just to, just as a refresher. I did. What did you think of it? Um, You know, I kind of want to start with you just because, as you are aware, once I start on a ramble, mm-hmm. I won't stop. So I would really like for you to start. All right. Well, uh, I hated it. Really? Yes, I, I hated it. I you Elaborate. Uh, here's my review. I wish I could get back my eight hours. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Do, do you have anything original to say? You're, you're not going to tell me someone beat me to that joke, that highly clever joke. Actually, have they? I, 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 don't, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe um, you're the first. I don't know. I like my my feelings are not positive about it, but hated is probably overstating it because, uh, you know, there were parts of it that were interesting. But man, it's eight hours and it's not a tight eight hours either. There is just. I mean, the title of this should be the Beatles dick around. I think there is a reason for this. Um, so in case I don't know. Maybe there's people that don't know the it's the Beatles. I don't know how anyone wouldn't know, but just in case, just in case you were born five seconds ago and the first thing that happened is somebody put on this podcast. Um, there once was this band called the Beatles. They got very famous, and uh, they decided um, at the sort of towards the end of their careers that they were going to make a documentary. And the documentary would correspond with an album that was them returning to live recording, to recording together after they had had several albums where everything was kind of recorded separately for the most part. Um, everything was layering. Everything was about the studio. This was meant to be something that was going to be something that was about being a live band like they had been in the 1950s and early 1960s before they started getting really big. Uh, and they did the whole thing. It was supposed to culminate in some kind of big event. What the event was going to be was a question mark. It wound up being them, um, playing it on the, on the roof of, uh, Savile Row, um, their, their home office. And, uh, then the album didn't come out for a while. Uh, and a different album came out called Abbey Road. It is often considered to be their best album. And then they broke up and then Let It Be came out. And the documentary came out and the documentary was sort of edited around the fact that they broke up. And 
almost sort of, I think, was meant to be like an explainer. Like, here's what happened. Here's how they broke up. And then it kind of sat for a long time. And, um, you know, I think Paul really hated it because he felt that it painted him in a bad light. And I think for the most part, I don't think any of them were really big fans of it. And then all these years later, um, Peter Jackson, king of the very long thing, he sat down with all of the, you know, hundreds of hours of footage and decided um, that he would build this mini event that was going to tell the, the, quote, true story of what really happened, what it was really like. It's produced by Paul McCartney, who very famously is accused by some critics of being a history rewriter. Uh, but this was supposed to be a more honest portrayal of what actually went down and that it wasn't as negative as it appeared to be. And um, I think I did not hate this the way that you did. Um, I actually like it in a lot in a lot of ways. Um, but what I would say is that I like almost everything around it more. Like um, they put wow. out a book that like, so there's a book that corresponds. It is called The Beatles Get Back. I mean, like this book is just um, there's a bunch of sort of like pieces from different people. And then like it's just notation. It's it's just somebody sat down and wrote down every single thing they said, which is crazy. So there's like another way you could you could just read every single thing that got said is in this book. But in the midst of it. So there's that. And then there's also they put out a like a big special edition. Let it be album. And the Let It Be album also comes with a book. <laughs> oh, you've got it right there. Wow. I do. Hang on. There's a thing I want to find from the book. Uh, so Paul McCartney did a, uh, a forward. And the very end of the forward of the Let It Be book that corresponds that comes with the, with the records, he said, um, let me read this. I'd always thought the original film Let It Be was pretty sad as it dealt with the breakup of our band. But the new film shows the camaraderie and love the four of us had between us. It also shows the wonderful times we had together, combined with the newly remastered Let It Be album, stands as a powerful reminder of this time. It is how I want to remember the Beatles. And to me, Get Back is Paul McCartney trying to reclaim what the Beatles are and trying to, not just for, for like the people, but for himself. I think he wanted to be reminded that it wasn't all bad news, that it wasn't all, you know, storm clouds and shit at the end, that occasionally the rainbow would come out, you know? I will say that I did see that. I've never seen Let It Be the documentary because uh, Paul McCartney has done his best to make sure that no one sees it. Like, it's, he's kept the rights, uh, you know, he has the rights and he's like very much does not like it because apparently he comes off the worst in it. Comes uh, off I mean, like a dick. Nobody comes out great, but um, here's what I will say. Uh, I think it was available, kind of. So I, when I was uh, when I was a younger person, um, they would have like these like Beatles conventions. You know, like there are comic book conventions. There were like Beatle fests, and uh, you could go and you could buy stuff there. And I remember buying um, like a bootleg copy of the Let It Be documentary and. Um, there's like a lot of stuff, a lot of music that wasn't on the, the Let It Be album, right? Very, very famously, they, they, they kind of recorded what they did and then it wound up in the hands of a very nefarious producer by the name of Phil Spector. Uh, and he produced an album that um, the Beatles were not particularly satisfied with. 
but there was all this other music that they'd recorded, different takes, all sorts of different stuff. And so, uh, like with um, when they put out the special edition of the White Album, um, now there's all this sort of material that was kind of out there in bootleg editions, so the quality wasn't very good. Um, and now that they've put it out in an official capacity, you basically get it in a in a higher quality so you can hear what it is. And I would say that my favorite of everything that's sort of come out of everything surrounding Get Back would be um, the the Glenn Johns um, thing that was put out. So there's like basically like the album that he wanted to make. He was the, he was sort of like the, uh, the, the audio engineer. engineer. Yeah. And uh, he had at one point come to them with, uh, hey, here's how I think the album should be. Uh, he mixed together like just, here's a bunch of, you singing songs live and I've interspliced with like you guys talking about certain things, joking and stuff, and they didn't like it. And now all these years later, <laughs> it turns out they do like it. So they put it all together and it was still there. And so now it's, it's out in the world. And I love that. Um, and I love getting it like actually be properly produced, cleaned up and put out. It's, it's, it's a really interesting album. And uh, actually I love let it be the album. Phil Spector aside. I actually hate that it winds up so far on the bottom of most people's lists of best Beatles albums. Well, this is not the first uh, crack Paul McCartney has had with Let It Be, uh, I think like 10, 15 years ago. He You made, did Let It Be Naked. Right, which is where he took out all the strings that you know Phil Spector put over the long and winding road, and I forget what other changes he might have made. So that's where Paul gets the... Uh, that's part of why Paul has the reputation of the history rewriter. He's, yeah. I mean, it's, he's, he's had it for a while, but you know, Paul, Paul McCartney, unfortunately, and I think we've talked about this in other episodes. He's, he's always kind of gotten the, the short shrift as far as public perception is concerned. I mean, I, it's certainly easier to, uh, or at least harder to make fun of John and George who carried themselves a lot more seriously versus Paul, you know, the derpy, the derpy goof face who, you know, makes a bunch of, wacky novelty songs for the next 20 years after he leaves the Beatles. I look, so here's what I think. I think that you can see that Paul McCartney for this get back eight hour documentary did want to put a little emphasis on the fact that other people also wanted to leave that other people made mistakes I don't think that he glosses over any of his own mistakes. I think that they're very much there to, to be seen. But the thing that you so, so you wanted to get back your eight hours. Here's my here's my theory about get back. Um, so I remember the thing that I was excited about was that there was all this footage. And for people that don't know, I am a real film dork. I get really obsessed when older films, they're like film stock, original film materials, original negative, whatever, um, gets a really full restoration and gets a realistic restoration, right? That was like, oh, this looks how it was originally meant to look. Peter Jackson is not interested in how it was originally supposed to look. That's not really his thing. He has this concept, which is that he wants to pull up a chair and have you sit down and feel like you're in the room. So what he did with this was he kind of used, he did restore the film, 
but he did it in such a way that he used um, sort of like a smoothing algorithm so that there's no film grain. And there are times where, because of the quality of the film stock, it does not look great. But for the most part, it kind of does make it feel, instead of, I don't think it's actually that soap opera which is sometimes the accusation provides a soap opera effect. It does kind of make it almost feel like it's now, right? Like they're doing it now. And so that's the visual component of him trying to plop you in the space. The other thing that he does is that he makes it long and rambling intentionally, I think. I think that the idea is that if you're just in it for long enough, you'll start to feel like you really are in the room because there isn't a plot. There are beats that he knows that he wants to hit, but he only does like three in an episode, right? He does the setup, something will happen in the middle, and then something will happen at the end. Everything else is designed to make it so you feel like you're like someone holding a, a microphone, you know? You feel like you're like, the, the, you know, they keep go cutting to the, the, the Hare Krishna sitting in the corner <laughs> that was there at George Harrison's behest. And it's like you're that guy, right? That's sort of what it feels like. Uh, I don't I don't have that Harry Krishna's sense of Zen calm and patience, unfortunately. Well, I don't. The thing is that I don't know that you're supposed to feel calm <laughs> uh, because they don't. Yeah, um, I, I don't, don't know. I d- even when things were starting to get tense in there, I, I was like I was like having to like, you know, wake up, wake up. Things are happening. And I, I just man, I just could not get into this movie. You watched it when it came out because, you know, everyone was, uh, you know, going nuts over it. I made it to the Billy Preston parts. And then I just realized I had hadn't paid attention to the past four four hours. and I just had no idea what was going on. Like when George left, like when George quit the band in episode one, I had no idea what had um, brought that on. And to be honest, having watched the whole thing now. From the beginning, I, I'm still not entirely clear. Like, I, I remember there was a part where Paul was getting on George for not playing the solo right. But, like, I don't know. To me, it still kind of seemed like out, out of nowhere. Because, you know, and that's not – maybe it was there. It was just I wasn't – I just couldn't keep my eyeballs on this thing. Hey, you, you know, like, if Paul is like, this is going to make me look better, like, kind of – like, it kind of reminded me of, like, a docu-dump where – that's the thing where like if the government tells you, you have to give this information to reporters and like the organization doesn't want you to see it. So they'll just give you the empty, the contents of every file cabinet they have so that you can't find the, the incriminating evidence. That's how it felt to me. Like there are exonerating parts in there. Like it's not, I, I have no idea what let it be is like, cause I, cause I haven't seen it. It's but. depressing. It's very, it's not a happy piece. <laughs> It's a dark cloud. I mean, like, it's not the most depressing thing I've ever watched, but, like, you know, it's not Dancer in the fucking Dark, but, like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's not a Lars von Trier situation. It's not happy, though. I don't know. What the, I, I assume the part where Paul gets on George's ass and then George quits, like, I'm sure that part was in there, right? Like, yeah, and it's a much shorter piece, obviously. And, you know, they, they have the piece in there, the that whole, like, um, you know, I'll do, I'll do whatever that pleases you. Oh, I won't play at all. Like that, that yeah. whole thing, like that's in there. 
And then they oh, kind of nice. cut after that to him sort of walking off. So, of course, it looks so much worse because you're uh, missing all the rest of the context. You're basically just getting this little chunk uh, of information and not all of the lead up. You know, none of, none of the, you know, what, what this really showed me is that they seem as a band to be struggling to a degree. But the bigger problem was that all these other voices kept showing up, you know, the people who were trying to build a narrative, right? Because they're documentarians and they're I, going I think like, would... what if, what if you did like, what if you went to like this country and shot here? What if, you know, like, and they would come up with all these ideas. There's a part where the director goes, well, it's got to be the best because you guys are the best. And like, you could just see them going like, uh, like truly, the Beatles are just sitting there and the word is cringe, right? Like, the word is not love. The, it's the word cringe. Um, anyway, the point is that uh, I think that that does have a really big impact on their ability to function. I'm sure there was a lot going on with George that caused him to leave. Um, I think it still looks shitty. Like, I don't look at it and think, man, this really exonerates Paul McCartney. He did nothing yeah. wrong. It just seems like everything's a mess. What I love about that ending is that that's how, you know, like, that's the trick when I was talking about how Peter Jackson, like, plants you in there, gets you into a place where you feel as though you're actually there. And then all of a sudden, when it, when you least expect it, the narrative shows up. Um, in a really profound way. And I remember the first time I watched it, uh, and then this time I felt the same way each time. You know, he does this brilliant thing where George leaves and then it keeps going for like another like 15 minutes. And it's Paul and John manically not knowing what to do. They're playing music. They're screaming. Yoko comes on the mic and just starts like Wailing. screaming and screaming, like obviously like trying to like get the anxiety out but it just seems so awkward because it's so obvious that they don't know what the fuck they're going to do and you get to the end of it and after they have had their like freak out they're just kind of sitting there not really knowing how to function and then <laughs> Peter Jackson or whoever I don't know who was brilliant enough took the demo tapes of a song off of um, George Harrison's All Things Must, Must Pass and the song is called Isn't It a Pity and you just hear it playing over, right? Like George isn't there, but the fact that he's not there makes him the loudest presence in the room. And, you know, it's like, isn't it a pity? Isn't it a shame? And I was like, holy fuck. And then they do the thing by like, oh, they decided on the weekend they were going to go talk to George. And like, there's a picture of George's house. And they're like, on Sunday, like John, Paul and Ringo went with Linda and Yoko to have a meeting with George. And it just says, it did not go well. <laughs> End of part one. And that was like, fuck. And I know all of this, right? Like, it's all history, but it still was really, I don't, for me, it really works. I love it. Like, I know that it's a lot. And I think you have to be a really intense Beatle fan to, to really give yourself over it, give yourself over to it entirely. But I just enjoyed it so much. I thought that was like such a masterstroke. Like, his suddenly after all that time of, just having you sit there all of a sudden it's like no right there's a narrative here except it's real and it's fucked here we go kind of an aside but like there's a, a bit like that in the beatles anthology the long version which is the one i watched not the 
three-part one they put on ABC back in the 90s, but the the long version is like, and like, and then Yoko shows up, and then it was like, Paul's like, and then John started seeing this girl named Yoko, and she was there all the time, and I was, I was like, what is she doing here? And it just basically just audibly ends on a dun-dun-dun roll credits. And I thought that was hilarious. Yes, that is not <laughs> aged great. But like, I know it's it's funny because it's it's a completely false thing because like in the rest of the episodes, there is like Yoko is not like a a big deal. And I did like it. Like there was a one scene I really liked where, you know, uh, in in Get Back where Paul is talking about Yoko. John and Yoko aren't there. And he's like, and you can tell like Yoko is kind of getting on his nerves. But he's like, it's like, well, you know, they're in love. And this is endgame for John. They want to be together. Like you can't. Can't get in the way of that. Wouldn't like, it be stupid if we all looked back and said that the Beatles <laughs> broke up because Yoko sat on an amp? Great. Yeah. Brilliant. Like it's they really like it's, you know, when you find that's like pure solid fucking gold. Imagine finding that moment and being like, we're yeah. that's, that's going in. Like it's just so it because it just it really does it does do a bit of a history rewrite, I suppose. Yeah. Um, After like three decades, I think Yoko's starting to get her her due. Like, yeah. And like, I have, to, I, have to, I have to say, you know, um, after George leaves and they cut to her like screaming and stuff, that sort of primal shit, that's therapeutic, right? Like she was trying to help. She's crazy. She's a, she was like a maniac, but I think she was genuinely, I think she was trying to help in that moment. I think she thought like if everybody just let it all out, then maybe, you know, they would be able to breathe and figure out what to do next, you know, in her own not so quiet way she was helping um i yeah i like i like yoko she's an oddball i you know uh but you know it's it's interesting to watch the conflict between her and uh then linda eastman because you could tell linda does not like yoko that was a that that is quite clear well there's a a funny bit in that same conversation where paul's like well you know he's like they're in love can't can't get in the way of that and then they're talking about like well, what do we do about the the, the the special and Linda starts chiming in what she thinks the Beatles should do and then Paul goes like okay Yoko like <laughs> which is hilarious it's like now we know who was the first person ever to be called Yoko besides Yoko it was Linda yeah but yeah, I mean but truly you could have said that about the, the 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 guy who was directing everything and like and even you know Glenn Johns would get in trouble they would just snipe at everybody you know there's their longtime producer George Martin was there you know, and there's like a bit where like, you know, George Martin like turns to John and says like, well, you know, John, your, your guitar is slightly out of tune, you know. And and John's like, there'll be none of your producing shit in this one, you know. And it's like, it's it's just, it's very intense. Like, it's funny, but like awkward, <laughs> kind of funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that the narrative, such as they create it, is they're at Twickenham. That's where they start. And... Everybody, it's just a big giant space physically. And so everybody psychologically is trying to fill the space with stupid ideas. Just everything is getting dumped into that space and it causes havoc and it causes one of the band members to leave. And then they go to Savile Row and then Billy Preston shows up and things start to get better because it's a tighter space. There can't be like this stress of whatever that space was doing, whatever that bad juju was with Twickenham is no longer there. They've worked out whatever they're going to work out with George for the time being. And now here's a new person that's come in who rather than giving people ideas with a long like blather, he just kind of sits down 
behind the the you know the organ the little the little keyboard and goes like here's a little bit of this and they go ooh that sounds good you know and then off they go they're off to the races and that's the sort of i think the secret with the beatles is that if you come in and word vomit at them they're going to go oh that's a good idea isn't it and then all like stare at each other like what an asshole but if somebody knows what they're doing musically and sits down and goes, what about this? You know, whatever it is, then they'll go, okay. And then off they go, right? They just, and they talk about it in the first episode that Paul feels like he had to take over as the boss because Mr. Epstein is no longer in the room. Yeah, Mr. Um, Epstein. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's interesting to see them still have this sort of deference. But of course they do because what people keep forgetting about them is that they were still children. They were in their late 20s, but they were in their 20s. They're kids, you know, and I think that they look kind of road hard, but it's because they were uh, the test case for the Internet. What would happen if you never had any peace? (laughs) What would happen if, if all the time the world was encroaching on you in the most intense, personal, and unasked for way possible... And you never got a fucking break, even when you slept. Um, what might that be like? Todd, what a mystery. If only everyone on Earth knew now what that was like. I, I truly do think that's why they all, you know, are so exhausted all the time. It's why a lot of people are exhausted now. I think, you know, especially Get Back came out in the midst of COVID, where a lot of people had nothing but the Internet to rely on, which is the worst thing. to. It's the worst crutch there could ever possibly be they do the full intro of context of Beatles history up to that point. And they go out of their way to mention the, Oh, what is it? The, um, the bigger than Jesus comment. And I was like, I was like, yes, that feels like a major part of the Beatles story because it's insane. It's fucking insane in a way that feels weird for the pre-internet. Like, right. But now it's just, you'd say John Lennon did a bad tweet. Yeah. That's what happened. John Lennon did a bad tweet and people were mad. Um, But the thing was, there was nobody else on Twitter because there is no Twitter. So it was just him alone being the main character on Twitter.com for years. (laughs) What a fucking nightmare. Holy shit. That sucks. Yeah. At least when you're on Twitter, if you fuck up, there's going to be a new main character the next day. That's a different kind of mess. But at least you kind of get a break. Yeah, it's just completely insane. It's like of this nothing comment misinterpreted. Like, I'm sure this must have happened before John Lennon, but like not I can't think of any off the top of my head. It is such an innocuous thing to say, like and you have to like twist it in your brain too. so like I I assume that's why they the Beatles kind of fade from the public and only talk through their their records from that point onwards. And you going back to something you were saying earlier, that first that first episode is is rough. And I, I think I might be able might t- might be able to talk myself into liking this documentary. It really explains a lot. Like, what the fuck were they doing? This is like this project is insane. It's got a strict timetable. It's very close. Like uh, the deadline is like right there. And we're starting off with like basically no idea what exactly we're doing. Like they're going to do it in like North Africa. Like, what are you all talking about? They're, they have not even finished writing the songs. And the game plan is 14, 14 songs they're going to do. They're going to write them. 
rehearse them and have them strong enough and ready to go for a live show that they want to, yeah, like they want to take people to Syria or whatever it is. It's Libya. Libya. And like for, for, while I was watching that, I was like still in my American brain. It was like, they were like talking about like meeting people and then putting them on a boat to yeah. the North of Africa. And I was like, and he's like, I had to force myself to remember that England is much closer to the North of Africa than we are here. But that's still like a six. They were saying like a six hour boat ride to watch a Beatles concert in like an ancient Roman Coliseum. A very, a very strange thing to do. Very expensive. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that the, the, there are people that run that place like any other stadium, but like where you can put on concerts if that's what they were planning. But like it sounded like the craziest thing i'd ever heard like like the, even the, like when they pair back it's like no we're just going to put it on a live show in a normal tv CEO. like even then it's like the craziest thing i mean i'll be honest with you i'm glad you like let it be i i'm with the majority people on here there are like three good songs on there and a bunch of filler i don't like that album I almost love all of it, to be honest with you. Um, so here's well, I've, I've certainly had a lot more time to get familiar with it. Like even, I was, I woke the, up this morning with, I've got a feeling in my head and two of us, like I went to sleep with two of us still banging around in there. Yeah. I mean like that's, it's so wh- one of the things that I thought was kind of funny watching it is that you watch them doing two of us and they haven't figured out a part of it yet. So I'm watching it and going like I literally pulled out my guitar and I was like, guys, it's it's we're on our way home. <laughs> we're on our way home. We're going home. Like, come on, man. What? What? Get it together. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's the trick. Right. I think if you that's why I knew it worked for me. That's how I knew it had gotten me is because I'm watching them and going. I know the answer. Like I'm raising my hand, like I'm a student <laughs> in the back of class. And I'm like, I know it. I know it. I always liked the album. I like, um, you know, the the Phil Spector stuff less. Certainly, like I I never liked um, the Long and Winding Road, and I still don't love it. But I don't. I hated that song for a long time, and then I realized <laughs> that it was the Phil Spector stuff that made it so treacly and so saccharine. But this latest version, not the Let It Be Naked, but the last, um, like, remaster, which was done by Giles Martin, son of George Martin, is kind of a nice marriage of everything. So, like, I mean, mine um, in particular, like, really pops in a way that makes it a lot more bouncy and more fun. And it's just a really nice version. Um, And the Glyn John stuff is great. And what I realized about it is this. Uh, so do you know who Glenn Johns is? Are you familiar with, with him as a person? Uh, not really. I know he's worked on quite a lot of good albums, but not other than that, no. So in addition to doing the 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 engineering for Let It Be, he also did the engineering on Let It Bleed <laughs> and a lot <laughs> of Rolling Stone stuff. And what I would say about all of that is that you know we talked about the difference between the Beatles and the Stones um, on the last publicly released episode of song versus song go check it out now uh, helter skelter mm-hmm. versus gimme shelter and you had said something about how um the beatles could be the stones whenever they wanted but the stones can't be the beatles mm-hmm. well the, the thing i like about let it be is um when it comes to the the live performance stuff um what glenn johns did was 
sort of infuse the Beatles with a little bit of Rolling Stones. Um, so I love um, I love Get Back. I the, the song that's not on the album but is a B-side, but John's song, Don't Let Me Down, I, I fucking adore that song. I think that song is great. Um, I don't know. I just think that album is really good in general. And for me... It's, a, I, it's certainly their bluesiest album. And it just it feels good to listen to them actually playing together together not just somebody came in with a click track and recorded their thing and then somebody came in and did you know or whatever the equivalent is and like they all just re- recorded separately um it's nice to hear them be a band and like are these the greatest songs ever written no but if i want a beatles album that i can just kind of groove to let it be is the one i put on um it's actually one of my favorite Beatles records precisely for that reason. And the other reason that I like it so much is because, you know, what album Glenn Johns also was the was the engineer on? Abbey Road. Mm-hmm. Abbey Road never would have happened without Let It Be. Well, they had to do that first to get to Abbey Road. And Abbey Road, I, I have really positive feelings about it. I think the general feeling is that it's their best record and their best record would never have happened without let it be. It was kind of fun watching them all write songs that aren't going to be on let it be. But like, I think we watched them. We watched them in the process of making like two thirds of Abbey road. We hear a bunch. We, there's at least one Paul solo song that he's, that'll end up on one of his solo albums. There's like one John solo song that I know like he was he's working on jealous guy. It's not even called that yet. Yeah, it's called the and the Road to Marrakesh. Um, George is a, composing some of his solo stuff too. All things must, must pass shows up on there. Um, but yeah, Teddy Boy is is in there uh, from Paul. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of stuff that kind of gets in there, and it's fun to watch. Not just that stuff, um, but yeah, like you said, there's a bunch of Abbey Road stuff that makes an appearance there, and they did pretty shortly after the Let It Be thing kind of got dropped. Like they'd already like. Um, I think George had written like Old Brown Shoe and John had done the Ballad of John and Yoko. And so they were really off to the races and they immediately went in and started using the energy that they'd gotten off of Let It Be to make Abbey Road. And yeah, and Glenn Johns, you can see that's the connective tissue. If you listen to Abbey Road, you can kind of tell that some of the the stuff that made um, everything from Rubber Soul through to, I guess, like the White Album, sound nice, but also like have like mixed, heavily mixed, like really in a vacuum, just isn't quite as present on Abbey Road. And I think a lot of that is down to Glenn. And uh, and so I'm really grateful that they that they did let it be, if if for nothing else than the fact that it got them to Abbey Road. But I, you know. I just yeah I like I like all of it. I love Two of Us, one of my favorite Beatles songs. I like I Dig a Pony, even though it's kind of aimless. I think I Me Mine is great. Um, Let It Be is as a song is outstanding. Get Back is really good. I don't know. There's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot of tracks on there that I just really vibe with. Like I'm not really as big on For You Blue. Like it's okay. Obviously, like the shorter songs like Maggie May and Dig It and stuff like that, like those are not really, they're non-starters, they're just there to fill space. But uh, I don't know. I think most of that record actually is, has never truly been 
as appreciated as it should be. I noticed a lot of people say that they didn't think that the new mix was all that great, but I loved it personally. Um, if you haven't listened to it, it's on Spotify. And if you're a real maniac, uh, you can spend a, a boatload of money <laughs> on the um, on all the LPs um, because you get a fancy book. You get the Let It Be album. You get the Glenn Johns thing. And then there's uh, another double record that has like a whole bunch of stuff, right? Like all the Apple sessions and like just them kind of fucking around. And it that also is actually kind of like just fun to groove out to. It gets a little long in places. And then the really cool part about that in particular, that release is that it also comes with um, one last record that has two songs on each side and you play them at 45 speed, um, which means it's going to sound better ultimately. And uh, on there is... Um, across the universe and I'm you mine and, um, don't let me down and let it be. And it's the best I think that they've ever sounded. Uh, I think it, that, that the record, the groove of it, the, the quality they did of mastering it onto that, that 45 speed record does make a, a noticeable dis- difference to my ear. And that's again, like, you know, even if you don't want to sit down and watch eight hours of get back, I do think that there's a lot of stuff that came out of it. The book that comes with that those LPs has tons of information about every single song. Glenn Johns writes a ton of stuff in there. Um, there's a lot of people that like yeah, Giles Martin writes a bunch of stuff about the album. It, it's it's if you're a Beatles fan, I think it's a treasure trove of of exciting things to uh, enjoy. I don't know. I like all this stuff, like you know. But I'm a diehard fan. I'm I you know I've been a fan of the Beatles my whole life. Like I am certainly not not a Beatles fan. I love the Beatles. But for me, like this was just too much. Like it felt like the 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 bonus booklet that comes with the CD. Or if it, I, I saw someone say it's it looks like this documentary plays like the bonus features on the DVD. Like if it, it's there if you want it, but like I, I I just don't think it. Like if this movie were three hours, six hours, even I just, I just don't need to see them rehearse, shake, rattle, and roll, or you know just jam and dick around like that i think there there are certain parts we talked about this way back when uh when you started watching a little bit of it and i had already watched a lot um and there's stuff that people have said before but it there are parts right like i wish like somebody should just say here are the timestamps. (laughs) watch from here to here watch from here to here these things are interesting these things are, are worth listening to in the first episode there is that point or you hear Paul writing Get Back, and it's just him going, you know, it's like very like, you know, and he's just doing that, and like at first it's nothing, and then all of a sudden you hear him going, you know, and all of a sudden you hear him go, Get Back, and then Ringo's like, Get Back, you know, like Ringo gets in on it, that like everybody's grooving on it, and the only thing that's missing is the. That's yeah. oh, it's the same thing again. Where like you get caught in the room, where you're like, "Come on, just go." Where is it? Go. Um, yeah, I saw everyone on social media just like going nuts over that scene. He's just like, "Wow, he's just like dicking around," and then just he has like eighty percent of get back in like two seconds. Yeah, and then George Harrison comes in, um, and this is like right before, right before the the, the breakup thing happens, and he goes. I thought of a song last night, you know, do you, do you want to hear it? And it's I Me Mine. 
and he sits down and like he starts to do it. And again, it's the same thing where like everybody kind of gets into the groove and it starts to get written very, very quickly. And, you know, you and I have talked a lot in the past about, you know, we have the four questions that we ask and how sometimes we say the one question we might drop is the second one. Like, yeah, you could witness the entire creation from start to finish of a song. And the reason that we say that is because you have discovered that you don't want to know how the sausage is made. <laughs> and this, I think, is an affirmation of that, right? Like, yeah. you watched this and didn't enjoy it. I watched it and was enthralled. I love this stuff. <laughs> I find this very enjoyable. And it was a reminder that, especially when they were even younger, and before the pressure of a lot of people they didn't know being in the room and 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 the fact that they were so famous that they could just go in and go I had an idea and the you know and someone else would go I had an idea and the other one goes I had an idea and then a couple hours later they've got three songs you know that's the thing that they were capable of doing and you see a little bit of it in and get back which is cool uh, I like that it is really cool to watch Billy Preston show up and how immediate the the tone the flavor yeah. of the room changes like wow all of a sudden everything like and i'm sure that part of that's the edit right like that is you can see peter jackson and i think paul mccartney's hand going like let's let's make it look a, a way that it wasn't entirely but like it's there and you can see that we were much happier so that's real um but that's interesting and do you remember there's a part of the third episode where John Lennon starts to speak effusively. He is praising a man. His name is Alan Klein. Alan Klein is often the other person that gets blamed for the Beatles breaking up. I miss, uh, re- re- refresh my memory. I, I don't remember this. Uh, so he came in and was like going to like, help with all of the business-related stuff at Apple Corps. Mm-hmm. And John basically came in and was like, I was talking to Alan Klein. you got to come in and talk to him. This man is a genius. I feel like I, he's known me my whole life. I talked to him just for a couple hours, and, like, he just gets me, man. He's going to get you, too. He's going to help. Mm-hmm. And, like, oh, they right. ended up, they ended up this, absolutely yes. hating him. Yeah. And it's interesting to watch. I I do think that to an extent that's Paul going like, see, it wasn't just me that was stupid. It wasn't just me that broke this band up. <laughs> like we all took turns being the fool. Here's John being an idiot um, and, and buying into something because, you know, somebody came in and sold him some snake oil and gave him a really good sales pitch. Um, and uh, it's sort of fascinating to watch stuff like that. And then just a really unedited, well, I mean, still edited, but like a little a little bit broader, a little bit larger, a little bit longer um, version of the concert, the, the, the roof concert. Yeah, we haven't talked about that yet. Yes, it's the end of the movie, basically, right. right? Like the last like 40 or 50 minutes is pretty much just that. And it's madcap in the opposite way that the first episode is. Because they're just up there playing the songs and it's everybody else that has to deal with the bullshit. Like, <laughs> like the shoe's on the other foot at that point. And it's it's kind of hilarious to see in a way I'm like, ah, this is comeuppance. Um, that now they get to just do their thing, which is what they're good at and everybody else has to put up with it. But there are parts that I laughed so hard. Like, they basically sent somebody out 
to go like, we're just going to run and gun. We're going to ask people what they think about it. We're going to ask mm. if they even know it's the Beatles. Yeah. Some of and them did. They'll, some of them did. But like there, so like there's one lady, they go, do you like this? And she's like, it woke me up from my nap. I don't, I'm calling the, the, I'm the just, bobbies or whatever. The I'm fuck. just trying to, I'm just trying to sleep, you know, like a little old lady. And I was like, this lady is me. I understand this feeling very well. Um, but like at the same time, I, they also like, like there's a lot of old guys and they go, what do you think? And he goes, he goes, I think they're a bunch of proper good fellows. Yeah, it's like, um, you know, my, my son loves them and I love them too. Like, uh, oh yeah. I like the guy, the one guy where they go, how would you feel if, um, your daughter yeah. wanted to date one of them. And he goes, well, they're rich. So that sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I love good head on your shoulder. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like the, a couple of, they started the beginning with a bunch of like cranky old people who don't like it. And I'm like, and I was like kind of torn on this one because like one, Oh my God, you are experiencing like one of the most historic mu- moments in 20th century music. You fucking old fuddy duddies. On the other hand, I, you know, I don't know why I didn't know this, but like, I thought they had like, this was cleared. And it was not. They just got up there without like uh, alerting the the authorities or something, and so they're out there just playing an unlicensed concert. I like, mean, they blasting they, it down the block because they knew that that they wanted. Like there were parts earlier where they talked about like sneaking yeah. in someplace, you know. Yeah, and it, it was funny to watch because I mean, Paul I didn't was, know this was before was the quite, uh, was quite keen on it in the beginning, and then all of a sudden, like they had to convince him to do this, but. No, I, so my favorite part um, of the whole performance was yeah. there were a bunch of people that would say, why are they up on the roof? And one guy said, why aren't they just out in the streets? It's <laughs> like, I know it's been a couple of years since they performed, but uh, you do remember <laughs> what it was like, don't you? That, like, that was only like two years ago or four like, years ago. Hey, man, if so, if they were in the streets performing, what would you do? I bet you would run up and like scream or try to hug them or steal their clothes that's why they're up on the fucking roof <laughs> it's not i'm in 2022 and i fucking know come on yeah these uh these it's well it's easier to know in 2022 i think of the uh the effects of celebrity i guess like it's I, easier to be i think it's easier to not be aware of showbiz news if you're not a showbiz person in 1969 I guess so. I mean, look, I think it's it's fun and it's interesting that they basically just played the, a couple of the songs over and over again. You know what it made? Yeah, me I didn't. Mean? I didn't know that. I that I knew. I I thought it was just like uh, "Don't Let Me Down" and uh, "Get Back." I, I didn't know they played most like half the, the, the track list. Some of them several times. They play some songs, some of their older catalog, in, um, in Twickenham, and I think they do some of it also when they're when they go to Savile Row, but like. Man, why didn't they play some of their back catalog? <laughs> what the hell, dude? It ended up being the last live performance they ever gave. And they didn't play a couple of tracks from the last three or four years that they'd never played live before? Come on! Yeah. I was kind of confused why they didn't play... Uh, what was the plan up there? Were they recording it all? Or were they planning on... Was this planning to be a real concert? Like... They were so there. So so they had they had every so they pulled everything up right, and then all the wires led back down. I think to the basement where Glenn was, and uh, and Glenn, I mean, really bless him, he was very smart because I think there's three tracks that are in fact still from that performance from them playing up on the roof, and other than the fact that it really just sounds you know like they're all playing together, 
I mean, I would never have clocked that it, you know, I think you'd hear like wind and shit like that. Like you would think it would sound more obviously live, but the magic trick he pulls on that stuff as the, as the audio engineer is really outstanding. Like it's, it's incredibly good work um, because it, it hits all of the things that you want from a live performance without any of the hiccups of it. And that's neat. Play like back in the USSR. <laughs> Helter Skelter. I don't know. Yeah. Some of the songs that have never been performed live ever. Yeah, like there's a lot of them, guys. Could have played some of those. Didn't seem like they had much of a game plan, much like the entire project. I think, I mean, I think they kind of knew. I love, I do love that the cops show up and the cops are such a bunch of heels, but they're also fools. (laughs) Like they really fall for it. You can really tell that everyone's giving them the runaround because they figure if they, if different people take turns saying, we're going to go do this, we're going to go grab this person. And then they're just lying through their teeth. They're absolutely not doing any such thing. It'll work for a while. And then once the cops finally insist that they go up on the roof, they're not going to do shit because the Beatles, I think what they did was, you. there's a moment where you see them look towards the door and they yeah, see the like cops there. Moment. And I think what they decide to do in that moment is say, all right, lads, let's not take <laughs> a break. Let's not yeah. give them a break to come over to us. We're like, as soon as a song ends, we're going to go right into the next one, even if it's just <laughs> the same song again. Like, don't give them an in. And there is even a point where, like, their boss shows up and he's like, oh, where were my men? You know? <laughs> and they're like, well, you can go up, but you can't go out on the roof because there's a weight requirement and we've already exceeded it. And they're, and he's like, oh, the law, I've got to follow that. So he also comes up, but they just kind of get stranded. <laughs> like staring at the Beatles kind of helplessly. Oh know. man, Paul, when the, the cops finally get up to the roof and Paul has like the most hilarious, like cheese at the cops look on his face. <laughs> <laughs> oh I man. Just, yeah. I don't know. That, that makes me happy. I think if nothing else, if you're going to watch anything, I think it's fun to watch just sort of that last little bit, like that last yeah. 40 some odd minutes or whatever it is. Like just I to did. hear them play the songs, watch the cops show up. I hear people's reactions. All that stuff is, is I mean, fun. Third, if you're not going to watch episode. anything else. Yeah. Third episode was definitely my favorite, but not just for the uh, recording, not just for the concert, but also there's like a wonderful moment, just an absolutely wonderful moment right at the beginning of it where Ringo sits down and he starts plinking out octopus's garden. And like, it's beautifully edited because there's like great moment where George Harrison is like not paying attention. Then, and then he is paying attention. There's like, this is great. And he comes down and he sits down and, uh, you know, it's like starts collaborating with him. And I was like, that's such a nice moment. You know, the, the other two of the Beatles coming together to write just a nice little song. It's cute. I, it's, it's cute. Yeah. It's very nice. And, yeah. and I like that's, I think that's like that one moment. just explains why Ringo was so important. So it's just, you're just happy to have him there. Well, there's a point where um, Linda then Eastman mm. is talking to the, the director and she goes, I like ring the best. He's just so easy to get along with. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, he's very chill <laughs> like or whatever, however they word it. Yeah. And I think, ah, I wonder how, how they would have ever gotten it. Can you imagine people joke about how Ringo is like not important. He was yeah. very important in <laughs> uh, a lot of ways. And, um, and yet when George left in that first episode, Somebody asks John, they go, has anybody ever seriously left the band to this extent before? And John just sits there quietly and goes, yeah, Ringo. (laughs) 
It's like, of all people, Ringo had had enough. That's how you know there, there were shenanigans afoot. I would have liked to see that, like a, a whole documentary of that. Like, if, if, if there was going to be a documentary about any of the albums, uh, I would have preferred it much more for the White Album, which is the one where Ringo walked out on. Yeah, but uh, it would have been mostly them doing stuff separately is the problem, you know? Yeah. You can listen, so there's like, you know, there's a lot of... um of like alternate takes and stuff like that from the last release of the white album. And it's definitely, definitely worth listening to. I would say it's, it's probably um, of the, the re-release versions of, of Beatles records. It might be like that and Abbey road. I mean, Abbey road is just, it's just such a beautiful record, but um, yeah, if you go like in 2018, they put out all this, all this sort of stuff. Um, and like there are all the Escher demos, which had made their way around here and there. I think that that'll give you the flavor you're looking for. I do. I wonder if maybe uh, at some point, wouldn't it have been nice if Peter Jackson had made like a three hour version of this, of everything? Here's all of the essential stuff. Here it is in the three hour version for the regular folks, not for the absolutely insane Beatles fan <laughs> because I don't you know I mean we've talked about this in the past I don't know like you say you're like oh I love the Beatles you don't love the Beatles the way that I love the Beatles oh it's no not absolutely not you're the not most insane I don't know anyone who likes anything as much as you like the Beatles I mean you know I have certain things that I that I love very intensely like the only th- the only person I know who loves something as much as you love the Beatles is how much you love Star Trek like <laughs> It's so funny that I married someone that hates fandom. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I um, I don't know. I just I think that 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 we're a bit of a dying breed, which is okay. I mean, I don't think anything's being lost. Uh, uh, what about the that, Beatles super fans? Yeah, I don't think that there's as many. Like, I don't I don't think in the new generation. That I would have thought that before Get Back came out, but like this was like a big event, and people were genuinely watching it. Like, I could I. It's like I couldn't I, I only got through it because I had to for this podcast. But like there were plenty of people who did find like I'm not exactly a minority opinion, but like. No, I saw a lot of people sharing exactly what you said. Like that sentiment was prevalent. The, yeah, but it's like way, there was it's also, way too long. Why would anybody watch something this long? I mean, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not saying like I'm a, on an island of one over here, but there are also plenty of people who felt like you that like, this was like a time of their lives. Like they really genuinely enjoyed it. Like, yeah, so right. like, I don't, I don't know, like uh, Beatles are doing fine. Uh, it seems like to me. I just, you know, I think that, I think that it's, it's still, well, you know, Gen X and millennials, maybe I, I think that maybe the zoomers are not as keen. It's, but, and it's not because of anything other than time. It's been right. so long now, you know, I mean, I, as a kid, I remember thinking that the Beatles were old people, were old people music. Even when I liked it, it was oldies. Right. I was born in 1980. They'd only Mm -hmm. broken up 10 years before I was born. That's nothing. That's a second. You know, that's a blip. And so it's sort of funny the way that time works in your head. Now I'm like the Beatles. The Beatles were yesterday. You know, like that's not that long ago in in the in the in the long arm of history. Mm -hmm. It's not such a long time ago. But um, but if you're younger, it is. And also, yeah, I mean, how many generations are going to cling? Right. Like. How long was Frank Sinatra huge? A really long time. People don't really. Oh yeah, people forget he had hits in the eighties and the nineties. Like, but do you? But you, would you say that like 
there's a huge Frank Sinatra fandom now. Is that a thing? Well, Frankie is still a guy for a certain breed of bro, but other than that, not really. But, no. but by volume yeah. is what I'm yeah. saying. And I think I think that the Beatles are sort of headed in. And a Elvis similar... has Elvis has faded a lot, a lot. Right. Like compared to what like when I was a kid, he was dead for 20 years and he was still like a major presence in the pop culture. And he's very much not now. Yeah, I remember there not so long ago there was kind of like one last not so long ago it was probably a while ago um mm-hmm. there was like some remixes of some of his stuff yeah no the the little less conversation remix was a big deal but that was like the last raw that was like 2002 and i like maybe Jesus the new christ not a little while ago 20 years yeah and like maybe the new elvis biopic from baz lerman that looks absolutely fucking terrible we'll bring him back into the limelight and we'll start seeing elvis impersonators again but I, I don't really think so. I think I think that that documentary or documentary that that film is going to bury Elvis in the core <laughs> of the earth forever. Yeah, Elvis no longer lives. Elvis has definitively left the building. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I I just I wonder how many people this was really made for. It was made for me because li- literally, genuinely, I would sit there and watch. And also, you know, they remixed everything so that. It's a, you know, it's a whatever, it's a 5.1 or whatever. It's a full surround sound experience. So you, that adds to being in the room. And like, I'm watching them play and I've got my guitar right next to me. So I pulled it out and I would just start playing with them, you know? And I, it really, it does a little trick because you know, you're not there, but aren't you? I don't, it's, <laughs> it's I don't know. It's magic. Um, it was, it was a special made for me and people like me. And it was a real joy in that way. It doesn't mean that it was never a slog, but that was intentional because it was a slog for the Beatles. And you're supposed to feel like you're there with them. So you're also supposed to be like, oh my God, I'm so exhausted. You're supposed to feel what they're feeling. I think that was Peter Jackson's goal. Um, and I think in that way, it's a a, a ringing success. <laughs> And I think Paul McCartney has successfully rewritten history. I think that more people will view this as as definitively what really happened. I don't blame him for, you know, like there's been so much bullshit. It's nice of him to exonerate Yoko. Like, like, but, but like Yoko has gotten so much bullshit and it's just been so overdone over the years. Like I can understand like, and I'm sure that's like one of many, many incorrect things. Paul McCartney has heard about himself. that's taken root over the years. So I, I don't blame him for wanting to correct the record, I guess. Yeah, he's just, I mean, I think he's doing two things at the same time, which is interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting thing to have to, it's, I, it's, I, he's threading like the needle, right? Because cause he's Paul McCartney. And so to him, I think that his legacy for his family is important because when he's gone, he wants to still feel like no matter what happens, they're always going to be taken care of because the legacy of the music will sustain them in good times and bad. Uh, so that I think is important. But I then, it's just as a matter of pride and ego and for his own sake, he's at the end of his life. It would be nice to be viewed as a human being and not as a fictional fucking character. Like, uh, you know, a thing that pr- prior to the last 20 or so years, most people would have found to be a really alien feeling. But now I think um, to varying degrees, we all understand that feeling. So it's also the right time to be putting this out. I, I do think that, you know, I watched it and for me, I was like, I get you, Paul. But I think most people do, you know, like I, you know, I don't think I'm alone in that either going like, yeah, it sucks when 
people look at the internet and decide that you are part of a narrative and therefore are like slotting into one of the character archetypes when in fact you're just a human fucking being. I think that Paul had to deal with that before everybody else. And now I think we live in a time where everybody has those moments and you don't ever completely escape it once it happens to you because it's always one Google search away. So I think I think that Paul really wanted to sort of get to a point where as many people were going to be like, I mean, he's just a person. He's just a person for better or worse, did some good shit, did some bad shit. And soon he'll be dead. Do you feel like he's like George Lucasing his legacy a little? Uh, because that's what I heard about. Let it be naked. Like I think that so you know there. This is this is different. I I realize, but it's it's the best attempt he's ever made because you know there are things that he's done in the past. Let it be naked is one of them. I think that like the really big thing that got people so mad, which was weird, was that he wanted some of the songs to be credited McCartney Lennon (laughs) because John had nothing to do with it or. You know, at the very least, it was McCartney's idea and John added one thing, you know? Right. And he just thought like, well, a fair is fair. And then everybody else was like, John's dead. What the fuck? I mean, as I, yeah, that's what I, that's what I heard about. Like, let it be naked too. It was like, yeah, it's real easy for Paul to start doing shit like this. Now that George and John are dead. Like, yeah. now, like, like Ringo was going to stop him. But that's the thing, right? Like, um, if you look at get back, it doesn't exonerate Paul McCartney. It doesn't make him seem like some little cherubim innocent. You know, he talks about how he's too controlling and how he hates it, but then he proceeds to do it anyway. And it's annoying and it pisses everybody off. Like, they include that stuff. It's not, they don't like hide it away. They don't cut it out somehow. They don't cut around him being an asshole. They include it as much as they include everything else. So, I think if you're going to do it, if you're going to rewrite or or set a record straight, if that's what he was trying to do, I think this is the best way you're going to do it. And if it's as simple as what he wrote in the introduction, um, the foreword, this is how I want to remember the Beatles, I think that makes sense in a human way that's actually not really that manipulative, at least not to me. I have many many complaints about the way this thing came out. And mostly I blame that on Peter Jackson though, who just does not know how to fucking cut, but like it started, it's starting to become a pattern, Pete. I don't blame McCartney for making this at all. No. Um, Everyone, everyone seemed to be happy, right? Like it wasn't just Paul and Ringo that were happy. Everybody else that came to watch it. Um, the Harrisons all seemed really happy with it. Um, the really big thing, I had completely forgotten this up until this moment. Um, Julian Lennon went and watched it. Do you remember what he said? Um, no, that would have been like four months ago. I do not. Oh, he he came out and they said, what do you think about it? And he said, "I for the first time in decades, I feel like I know my father and I feel like I can love and forgive him. Oh, wow. And I was like, well, as soon as I heard that, I thought, well, nothing else really matters. Right. Like if Julian Lennon is able to make peace with his dad, his long dead father, and they had a very tumultuous relationship. I think that that's unbelievably powerful. That's absolutely the best thing that I heard about about Get Back. I just thought, like, I'm, I'm so happy for Julian. My gosh, what a relief. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that um, 
I wouldn't compare it with like George Lucas or anything like that because I don't I don't think it I don't think it has that kind of impact. I think I think it's all I think it's all good ripples, you know. I think we've talked this one to death. Thank you for all. There you go. Wait, do you want do you not want to talk for another seven hours? Uh, I mean, I could. It's better than working. We could do but- that at some point. I'll leave the podcast. <laughs> And then come back, and then you can leave the podcast, and Ooh, then come back. Uh, At some be, point, I'll I'll have Raven come in and offer opinions. And sit then, on an amp, and then Paul will come in. Um, Paul Schuler, our yeah. <laughs> our our audio engineer and editor, um, and he'll quit the podcast. And then maybe we'll uh, we'll do the podcast on the roof. There you go. That was my that was my original plan all along, which I had not yes. presented to you. I was going to actually do a weird performance and try and turn this into a song versus song documentary for eight hours <laughs> and see how long I could get you to go along with it. But I think you're right. Song I, it's versus song it's over up. an hour. <laughs> I think we've probably reached the end. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. And uh, vote for something shorter next time. I got work to do. Bye. 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 Mm-hmm.